I'm Samantha Robertson. It is good to be with you this morning. Sobering thought, I nailed Jesus to the cross. Sobering thought, I nailed Jesus. I, Samantha, nailed Jesus to the cross. Can you say the same? You can say, sure, I'm guessing that that means yes. But I nailed Jesus to the cross. What I did, what I've done, my, my stature in life of, of being born into the world that I was born into, I nailed Jesus to the cross. Today, it feels a bit sobering for me to be standing here because I feel like standing here on a day like today speaking about what's so good about Good Friday is, is actually intimidating because there's so much. There's so much that can be mentioned about today, about what Jesus did, more than just a story. And my heart today is that you will hear more than just a story, that it won't be just a story of a good man who went through some horrific things was nailed to a cross just because I nailed him to the cross. But there is a whole lot more than that. <laughs> There's a whole lot more than that. I wish I was still 20 and didn't need my glasses. <laughs> but it is a responsibility speaking about this today. Sometimes we hear Good Friday, some of us know people, and maybe we are those people who would go to church on Good Friday and, and would make it a habit and would go again on Easter Sunday just because it could tick two of the three boxes during the year. And maybe you were or are one of those people and maybe you know some of those people, but maybe there's a whole lot more to the story, the accounts that we read in the Gospels, the accounts that we read in Hebrew, uh, reflecting on the Gospels, the accounts that we read in Psalm 22. I want you to make a note of going to read Psalm 22. Psalm 22, written over a thousand years before the crucifixion of Jesus, has every single minute detail of the crucifixion, even speaking about crucifixion before crucifixion was even a thing. It's mentioned then. That's how cosmic today is. It's not just a story. And it's not just about me nailing him to the cross, although I'm grateful that he did. It's not just about that. I want to start by reading again Genesis 2, verses 16 to 17. We've, we've read this verse, but there's three things that I want to point out. And I want to journey today as to the why Jesus is on the cross. Why did it have to happen what was broken when these things happened that we're going to read about now, but what one man's specific journey was through this time of Jesus being on the cross. And my trust is that while we're going through this journey this morning, that you will encounter more than Jesus, although that's all we need. 
but that, that your encounter with Jesus would so have such a ripple effect as today did over 2,000 years ago that your life, that you nailing Jesus to the cross would have an effect on the world around you. Because it doesn't just stop here. It's not just a good day because we get to walk out of those doors and say that we went to church. It's not just a good day because we say, Jesus, yes, it was you. But it's a good day if that impact stretches beyond me and beyond you. Then it's a good day. So let's have a read. And the Lord commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Notice here there are three things, and just for Andrew, they're all P's. Permission, prohibition, and penalty. It is powerful about this day. Listen, we, we've been journeying through some of Genesis, and, and we've learned from Pastor Carol, from Pastor Musa, and, and from Calvin right at the beginning that that God made us in his image. He made everything. He said it was good. He made us and he said, it's very good. And he made the trees and he goes before this. He says, you can eat of the abundance that is every tree in the garden. Imagine I said to you, you can go to a car garage, a new car garage, and you can have any new car that is there. That's the permission that God gave Adam and Eve. Land Rover Defender, baby, it can be yours, right? I saw one today on the road and I was like, man, if I had a few million spare and there were no hungry people, that would be mine. But that's the permission that God gave. He said, go for it. He said, go for it. But he did say this. He said, guys, of that one, just of that one, I want you to stay away. Just of that one. Go for it. Everywhere else, go for it. But that one, don't do it. And Samantha Robertson decided that it would be good for me to put my pride before the command of God without listening to the penalty and decided that it would be good for me to eat of that tree. And then it would be good for me to blame all sorts of other people. But Alan said, but Pastor Carol said, look how beautiful it is. But Pastor Andrew, who loves fruit because of Pastor Carol said, let's try this one. You see, the blame game started that day. How about the reality that it's me? I chose that day to put me before this perfect communion that God had created. There was this communion in the garden where God used to walk amongst his creation, communing with them day after day, moment after moment. And on this one day, I chose to ignore the boundary. The boundary was don't go there because if you do, you will surely die. And that's what we read about. But for goodness sake, God had to go about a restoration plan, restoring what we broke. My guess is, and I know that he had a restoration plan from the beginning. Because if you have to give somebody free will to commune with you and to worship you, there's a risk. 
And so there had to be a redemption plan from the get-go. There had to be a redemption plan from the get-go. And some of us have got this small idea of what Good Friday is all about, that it's about me, my sin, and Jesus. It is. It's about me going to heaven when I die or going to commune with Jesus when I die. Let's not go into a theology of heavens right now. But it's about me going to be with Jesus when I die. It is. But there were other things that were broken that day. Here are some of the things that were broken that day. Communion with God was broken that day. Worshipping God was broken that day. Because we started in that moment to worship self. Love in its pure form was broken that day. Because love is pure and true and not self-centered. And guess what? It broke that day. Truth broke that day. Fake news started. Beauty broke that day. We started to see things through a lens that was faulty. Spirituality broke that day. Why do you think people started worshipping other things? Because in our hearts, there is this need to worship. And if we're not worshipping the one who we put on the cross, then we will find something else. And hence, all sorts of spirituality. Freedom, as Carol was saying at the beginning when she was closing worship, freedom is ours, but it was broken that day. Because that day within the confinements of the garden, we chose something different. Power was broken that day. You see, God gave us power. How do I know it was broken? Because when he went to be with the Father, finally, Jesus said, it is better that I go. It is better that I go. And then he gave us authority, dominion, and power to go out and do the same thing. We broke these things on that day. Protection was broken on that day. And justice was broken on that day. But we were made in the image of God. How many of you have ever said these words? That's not fair. See, people out there say that justice is not something that is innate to a human. I don't have to go onto a playground, I used to be a teacher, for a very long time and just put one football on the, on the playground to hear somebody say, that's not fair. They've not been taught it, but they know it's not fair. You see, Adam and Eve, you and me, we were saying it's not fair. All of those trees, <laughs> but that one, it's not fair. And so that was also broken. So these are the things that were lost. Here ended the sermon. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Imagine if we just ended it there. But God went about with a restoration plan. Alan, please can you bring me my glasses? They are in my handbag in the brown case. Thank you. That's why you get married. Because otherwise... I can't see what, I'm, what I've got here. I thought I could, but. But the restoration plan goes about, John 3.16 speaks about this. For here is the way God loved the world. He gave his only son, a unique son, as a gift. So now everyone who believes in him will not perish, 
but experience everlasting life. I think most of us know that verse. Something that comes before that is this, the wages of sin is death. In the Message Bible, that verse, Romans 6.23, reads as this. It says, work hard for sin your whole life, and your pension is death. (laughs) Now, I know some of you might think you're not working hard at sin, and so therefore your pension is not death. But every time I choose to disobey what I hear in that still small voice in my heart, I'm creating a pension plan that is going against communion with God. Every time I choose to get angry with the person that pulls in front of me in the car and my husband knows it happens often, I am helping to build up my retirement annuity, my pension plan. I'm not working hard for sin, but it just happens because I nailed Jesus to the cross. It goes on to say in Romans 6, but God's gift is real life, eternal life, delivered by Jesus, our master. You see, here's the thing. If the wages of sin is death, someone had to die in order for sin to be canceled. And so we read throughout the entire Old Testament about ways that God was trying to continually commune with his people. He started in Genesis. (laughs) He communed with his people in Genesis. He then made a covenant with Abraham, and, and in that covenant it was him saying, I want to commune with you. What were the things that Moses said to Pharaoh during the time of the Exodus when Moses had to go and ask for his people to be set free? What did God tell him to say? Let my people go so that they can worship me. He was trying again to reconnect worship, to fix what we broke all those years ago. And he's been trying to do it ever since. He's been setting about with this restoration plan, this cosmic event, to try and do it ever since. You see, the thing is that God doesn't want just to reconcile you and me. He wants to reconcile the entire world to him. How do I know? Here is a way that God loved the world. It doesn't just say humans. He wants to reconcile the entire world. He wants that place where heaven and earth invade, that meeting place. Jesus created that meeting place that day where heaven and earth invaded, and he set about creating this plan of redemption, of restoration for you, for me, for the rest of the population, for the plastic scattered on the beaches, for the war in the Ukraine, for the corruption that we see in our government. He that day set about a restoration plan because he asked me to take dominion over what was going on from that day, and I didn't do it right. And so because of me, Jesus had to die. Can you say the same about yourself? We know the story of the crucifixion and the sobering ways, the events, the accounts that had happened. 
Crucifixion is actually something that was invented by the Persians, believe it or not, but it was perfected by the Romans. They learned how to do it well. It was one of the most gruesome ways to die. There's a man by the name of Seneca who was a, who was a historian way back then, and this is what he wrote about the crucifixion. He said, can anyone be found who would actually prefer wasting away in pain on a cross, dying limb by limb, or letting out his life one drop of blood at a time, rather than dying quickly? Would any human willingly choose to be fastened to that cursed tree long, sickly, already deformed after the beating that left him deathly weak, deformed, swelling with ugly wounds on shoulders and chest and struggling to draw every last agonizing breath. Anyone facing such a death would have many excuses for dying rather than for mounting the cross. It's sobering, but it happened for you and it happened for me. There's a man that we read about in, in all of the Gospels, but I'm going to look at the account in Mark 15, where an encounter with Jesus makes this man completely turn around. I want you to journey with me a little bit on a story. We know the story of Jesus. This is Sam's summary of the story of Jesus. Jesus was arrested in the garden after a betrayal by Judas. In the garden, there were Roman guards that would have been overseen by a centurion. A centurion was one in those days who had at least, because of the, you get the word center, centurion, he would have had at least 100 men, 100 guards that he oversaw. And so there was a centurion that was at the garden that at the same time when Peter chopped off someone's ear, at the same time when they went to go and see this man who was just praying and hanging out with his friends. He was arrested. It was possibly, historic, Roman historians tell us, it was the same often centurion that journeyed the entire time until the death penalty had actually happened. So it was possibly the same centurion who was in the garden, who then had to take Jesus to the chief priests and to the elders where he heard the question posed to Jesus, do you think, say that you are the son of man? And Jesus' response is, it is who you say I am who you say I am. There's an, there's an occasion in, in, in the book of John where this is happening and the centurion would probably have witnessed uh, Caiaphas, one of the chief priests, the high priest at the time, hearing Jesus responded, it is, it is how you say it is. It is what you say it is. That's who I am. And he said, one day you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the Father coming in a cloud of glory. Why is that so incredible that Jesus said that that day? You see, the only person that would have been seated at that time would have been the person who was overseeing the entire arrest event. The trial, that would have been the person, the judge, would have been seated. And here Jesus is standing, and he's just telling the truth. He's just saying, I am who you say I am, and one day you will see. Might not be today, 
but one day you will see. My prayer is that one day the people that do not currently see that Jesus is that person will see. But this centurion would have heard all of this. He would, have, he would have heard what is happening in that moment. This same centurion would have seen Jesus whipped. In fact, he was probably the one who commanded the guards that he oversaw to do it. He would have watched these same people putting a crown of thorns on his head. Asking Simon of Cyrene to carry the cross up with him when he was too tired to do it himself. It was the same centurion who would have stood wondering where Jesus' friends are because they all watched from afar or ran away for fear of their lives. It was the same centurion who watched him being nailed to the cross through his hands and his feet for me. It would have been the same centurion who watched People try and give him a drink on a sour sponge. It was the same centurion who would have heard Jesus saying, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. It was the same centurion who would have wondered how this man has been silent all this time. He hasn't, he hasn't provoked. He hasn't spat out back at his torturers. He hasn't done any of that stuff. And he's hanging on the cross, and as Jesus and three other women come closer, Jesus is hanging there, and he looks down at his mother, and he says to John, his best friend, and to his mother, you guys take care of each other from now on. What man in this agony would have thought like that? It was the same centurion who heard Jesus cry out in his last breath, it is finished. It is finished, meaning the debt has been paid. Not I'm finished, it is finished. I would have been saying I'm finished long ago. Jesus said it is finished. The debt is paid, the debt is canceled. I want you to think about the debt that you've got in your life, even just monetary debt. If you had to buy a Land Rover Defender, it would be in the millions. Imagine something, someone coming and just saying your debt is paid in full. Not only that, there's actually no more record of it. So not only was sin removed, the penalty of sin, death, was removed, but the actual sin itself, in a, in a wager in those times, in an accounting term, if somebody paid off somebody's debt, in the book that they had, they would have completely erased all the accounts of that. So Sam owes 2,000 rand for this. It was wiped clean. It was erased. Alan owes 5,000 rand for his wife's engagement ring. I hope it was more than that. But it was engaged. <laughs> it was raised, I mean. Whatever it was that you owe, it was completely erased. And it was this centurion when Jesus finally at his last moment and his last breath shouted out, it was finished. He looked around and he said, surely... Surely this man was the son of God. This centurion who would have seen hundreds and thousands of people crucified, who would have seen loads of people doing it completely differently, saw a man 
doing these things in a way that he had never seen before. And he came to this conclusion. He came to this conclusion. Surely this man is the son of God. You see, one of the things that we need to realize in this encounter is that there were some other gods that were just here, that were under the centurion's rule. And one of the customs of the day, whilst the people were dying on the cross, was to take their clothes and to cast lots. It was a game. And one of the outer garments that Jesus had on was a priestly garment because it had no seams in it. And that was the one that they were casting lots for. They were playing a game. To them, it didn't matter what was happening on the cross. They experienced all the same things that the centurion did. What is the difference? To them, it didn't matter. To the centurion, it did. To them, they didn't encounter Jesus because they weren't taking note of what was going on. But the centurion took note of every word, of every breath, of every action. An encounter with Jesus completely transformed this man. So Jesus died on the cross, and he said to his disciples after this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And we read that in Matthew 16. My question to you this morning is, Will you take up your cross? Will you boldly say, I, Samantha Robertson, don't say that because that's not who you are, you'd be lying. <laughs> but you, with your name, nailed Jesus to the cross. But I didn't, he didn't do it just for me. You see, how do I know that? Because the day that all of this changed in my life was a long time ago. Some of you weren't even born in 1992 in May, I experienced what Musa was singing about during communion. I experienced for the first time ever, even though I'd grown up in a Catholic school, even though I'd been taken through all sorts of things in an, Eng in an Anglican church, there was that moment that day where I listened eventually to a friend who was bugging me and I went to a service on campus. And I don't know what was spoken about that day I don't even know what song the person was playing on the keyboard. I knew he was quite cute. That was my flesh speaking. But this I felt for the very first time ever. I felt this, the love of God. For the first time ever, I knew that even though I was living in this moment of, of this gap between heaven and earth, I was the gap. I was not allowing the heaven and earth to meet anywhere near me at all. I was creating the gap myself. And in that moment of saying, God, if you are real, how do I know? I experienced a love like I've never experienced before. And I know my husband loves me, but the love from God is just, it's, you can't comprehend it. You can't express it. 
And my hope is that you experienced that love earlier on in worship. And maybe some of you experienced it for the first time. Maybe some of you experienced it a long time ago, but you're here today and you don't know that God has an encounter for you today with his love because of this man, Jesus. Psalm 85 verse 10 sings of a day when righteousness and peace will kiss each other. The cross of Jesus is where that occurred, where God demands a response, where the reality of Jesus is, is, is something that we have to recognize. There's this cosmic event that happened, and we're living in the benefit of it, or are we? Steadfast love and truth and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. There's a quote that I'm going to end with by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and after this, I'm going to just give us an opportunity to respond to this message. But he said this, the cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. The cross meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. You see, God's man, God's plan for man is to go out into the broken world that we still see around us and be that place where heaven and earth meet. Be that place where justice meets corruption. Be that place where life meets death. Be that place where healing meets woundedness. Be that place where freedom meets bondage. That's where Jesus wants us to be. That's why he did what he did. And so I'm going to ask us all to stand and to close your eyes if you don't mind. Jesus, thank you.